Hi, this is David Shoemaker. I'd like to welcome you to this month's segment of Living Thelema. Now, as you're probably expecting, this will be a follow-up to last month's segment on sex magic and mysticism. Um, this will be the second of two parts on this topic. Now, I'm not going to take up any time this segment uh, recapping last segment, so be sure to go back and listen to part one of Sex, Magic, and Mysticism on last month's podcast before listening to this. I think you'll find that it works much better that way. Now, as you'll recall, last month I gave you some homework to work on in between segments. Um, this was the purification and consecration of the sex force in preparation for what we're going to do today, um, or what we're going to at least talk about that you may go out and experiment with. I got an interesting comment um, from someone who had been listening to the last podcast and had been experimenting with the purification and consecration procedures, if you want to call them that. Um, and, and that was uh, pretty telling uh, and, and not unexpected in that when we do this work explicitly, mindfully, uh, even a sexually liberated Thelemites uh, may discover that we have some residual shame and guilt complexes that need to be rooted out, some discomfort with sexuality itself or with certain aspects of it, certain expressions of the sex life force. And um, this young man had uh, encountered some of those obstacles and was working hard to uh, to address them, understand them, process them. So um, I thank him for writing in, but also I'd like to invite all of you to comment if you have any experiences from your practice of the purification and consecration exercises that I assign. Anything you'd like to say about that, I'd certainly like to hear about it. Now, um, we're going to pick up today with a good bit more detail on Thelemic sexual mysticism first, and then we'll move into uh, a bit more explicit uh, work on sexual magic. Now, if you've been reading between the lines uh, of the previous segment, I think you'll not be surprised to hear me say that I feel that uh, a good grasp and a solid practice and a real identification with the power of sexual mysticism in a Thelemic context is a prerequisite to fully empowered sexual magic in a Thelemic context. Um, that doesn't mean it's the only on-ramp to powerful sexual magic by any means, but uh, you know, you're going to be maximally effective in your use of the sex force if you have made it divine, if you have consciously connected with its inherent divinity, perhaps more accurately. Um, because then it becomes one of the most potent fuels for inflaming yourself in ritual, whatever your ritual aim is. So let's say a little bit more about uh, sexual mysticism. Now, as I mentioned last time, I think the body of Thelemic writings that Crowley left us has uh, so much built-in potential, inherent power, uh, in terms of tuning us in to the uh, the vital and life-giving power of uh, of our sexual force. And if you've spent any time in, in Thelemic culture and gone to Thelemic activities such as the Gnostic Mass and participated in your own personal rituals that uh, are drawing on Crowley's works, um, you know, potentially for years, you're going to have 
a fairly deeply ingrained and internally consistent system ripe for use in a sexual mysticism and magic context. You will have developed inherent emotional connections to the concepts of Nuit and Hadit and Rahurquit, for example, um, to the will as an expression of self that flows out through sex force as well as other, uh, other avenues. Um, you're becoming, through these processes, hardwired to link certain symbols and phrases and images, divine names, etc., to these intrapsychic experiences. And in doing so, you free yourself, uh, ideally, from societal and psychological restrictions, shame-based thinking, and so on. Um, let me give you some examples of some wonderful materials that we have from Crowley um, in the system of the AA and uh, show you how you can begin to practice those and understand those in a sexual mystical context. Now, the first of these I'm going to talk about is section SSS from Lieber HHH. This is assigned, this particular section is assigned to the practicus of AA. And one of the reasons why this shows up at this particular stage of training in AA is that the aspirant has previously been working um, with, in, in the immediately preceding grade of Zelotor, with uh, pranayama, which is a potent accelerator of kundalini, a stimulator of, of kundalini activity. Um, here in the practicus grade, the aspirant has practiced SSS as an acceleration of that uh, kundalini work. And in this instruction, Crowley is very explicitly placing the concepts and energies associated with Nuit and Hadith uh, as the opposite poles of the spine, um, the correlate in uh, more traditional tantric tradition would be the Shiva and Shakti. Um, but let me just read this text because I think uh, it's it stands so beautifully on its own. I don't want to muck it up with my own commentary too much. He begins with a quote from Lieber 7, chapter 1. Thou art a beautiful thing, wider than a woman in the column of this vibration. I shoot up vertically like an arrow and become that above, but it is death and the flame of the pyre. Ascend in the flame of the pyre, O my soul. Thy God is like the cold emptiness of the utmost heaven, into which thou radiatest thy little light. When thou shalt know me, O empty God, my flame shall utterly expire in thy great knocks. Then he moves into the instruction proper. Be seated in thine asana, preferably the thunderbolt. It is essential that the spine be vertical. In this practice, the cavity of the brain is the yoni, the spinal cord is the lingam. Concentrate thy thought of adoration in the brain. Now begin to awake the spine in this manner. Concentrate thy thought of thyself in the base of the spine, and move it up gradually, a little at a time. By this means thou wilt become conscious of the spine, feeling each vertebra as a separate entity. This must be achieved most fully and perfectly before the further practice is begun. Next, adore the brain as before, but figure to thyself its content as infinite. 
deem it to be the womb of Isis or the body of Nuit. Next, identify thyself with the base of the spine as before, but figure to thyself its energy is infinite. Deem it to be the phallus of Osiris or the being of Hadith. These two concentrations may be pushed to the point of samadhi. Yet lose not control of the will. Let not samadhi be thy master herein. Now then, being conscious both of the brain and the spine, and unconscious of all else, do thou imagine the hunger of the one for the other, the emptiness of the brain, the ache of the spine, even as the emptiness of space and the aimlessness of matter. And if thou hast experience of the Eucharist in both kinds, it shall aid thine imagination herein. Let this agony grow until it be insupportable, resisting by will every temptation. Not until thine whole body is bathed in sweat, or it may be in sweat of blood, and until a cry of intolerable anguish is forced from thy closed lips, shalt thou proceed. Now let a current of light, deep azure flecked with scarlet, pass up and down the spine, striking, as it were, upon thyself that art coiled at the base as a serpent. Let this be exceedingly slow and subtle, and though it be accompanied with pleasure, resist, and though it be accompanied with pain, resist. This shalt thou continue until thou art fully exhausted, never relaxing the control, until thou canst perform this one section during a whole hour, proceed not, and withdraw from the meditation by an act of will, passing into a gentle pranayama without kumbhakam, and meditating on Harpocrates, the silent and virginal god. Then at last, being well fitted in body and mind, fixed in peace beneath the favorable heaven of stars, at night, in calm and warm weather, Mayest thou quicken the movement of the light until it be taken up by the brain and the spine, independently of thy will. If in this hour thou shouldst die, is it not written, Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord? Yea, blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. So as I said, this practice is assigned to the practicus of AA and becomes an integral part of the acceleration of, of the kundalini work that's been unfolding across the first order. In the philosophist grade that comes next, we get a major focus on the bhakti or devotional aspects of the work. And so you see an emphasis on practices like Libra Astarte, where a deity is chosen uh, and uh, a full set of devotional practices developed by the aspirant, uh, more or less, in my view, as an exercising of the muscles of devotion that will ultimately be applied um, in the upcoming grades of Dominus Luminous and Adeptus Minor without um, toward the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel. And furthermore, at the Dominus Luminous stage, the practices of Liber Nu and Liber Had are assigned. Um, these are beautiful and poetic sets of meditations and contemplations that enhance the aspirant's identification with these opposites uh, in, in oneself and in nature, the, uh, the new concept and the Had concept. 
Um, ultimately, of course, the the goal is knowledge and conversation, and the and the object with which we unite is the beloved, uh, the HGA. Um, but once again, kind of exercising the muscles of adoration, of devotion, of inflaming oneself. And so I'm not going to read all of Liber Nu here, but I wanted to read a few passages that I think are especially evocative and uh, should be suggestive for the kind for understanding the, the kind of um, inflaming within a Thelemic pantheon and how that could play itself out. So let me read a few passages. Meditate upon Nuit as the continuous one, resolved into none and two, as the phases of her being. Meditate upon the facts of samadhi on all planes, the liberation of heat and chemistry, joy in natural history, ananda in religion, when two things join to lose themselves in a third. Let the aspirant pay utmost reverence to the authority of the AA and follow its instructions, and let him swear a great oath of devotion unto Nuit. Let the aspirant live the life beautiful and pleasant, for this freedom hath he won. But let each act, especially of love, be wholly devoted to his true mistress, Nuit. Let the aspirant yearn toward Nuit under the stars of night, with the love directed by his magical will, not merely proceeding from the heart. The result of this practice and the subsequent life of the aspirant is to fill him with unimaginable joys, to give him certainty concerning the nature of the phenomenon called death, to give him peace unutterable, rest, and ecstasy. So I hope these readings have given you a flavor of what's available, and if you have not looked at Liber HHH, and especially the SSS practice, and Liber Nu, Liber Had, uh, this would be a great time to review those as you contemplate your practice of sexual mysticism in a thelemic context. Now, I want to move on to uh, more explicit sexual magic. Once again, I am not going to be discussing any private formulae of OTO here. Um, I'm just trying to summarize some useful techniques that I've encountered in a number of traditions. And, uh, and when I may be veering toward OTO-specific uh, mysteries, I'm going to simply leave out details that would be uh, likely to be obligated material. What I'm about to give you is a sample outline of how a sexual magic ritual could be carried out. Um, this will be applicable for either solo work or uh, work with a partner. And many of these principles are, as I said at the beginning of the last segment, simply good magical ritual construction principles, regardless of whether there's a, a sexual component or not. Um, but some details will, will vary, as you'll see. Um, as with any working, uh, not surprisingly, the first thing you want to do is figure out what the point is. Uh, what's the purpose of the working? Now, one thing that's often underdone in determining to, to do a working is to do a pretty thorough self-examination for any conscious or unconscious factors that are running counter to the purpose of the working. Uh, if you have some ambivalence about actually obtaining the result of the working, 
that will compromise the effectiveness of the work itself. Um, examine if the practical conditions are in place for the manifestation of the object of the working. As with all magic, uh, you need to get Malkuth in order first so that the conditions are amenable. Uh, the idea being that you prepare the temple for the indwelling of the god, and if the temple isn't prepared, um, you will likely not get much bang for your buck in terms of ritual work. Uh, you might want to do some divinations, one or more divinations, uh, concerning the conditions of the working or its probable outcome. Now, if you do decide to go forward with the working, do the usual preparation, as with most rituals you would likely construct in a sort of a Western ceremonial tradition, where you develop a mantra, uh, an invocation to the particular deity you choose to use to symbolize uh, the forces invoked, um, sigils, talismans, uh, colors to use, incenses, all of those correspondences. And, you know, as usual, 777 is a good starting place for those. Begin by relaxing. Uh, connect, let's assume you're working with a partner here, connect with your partner emotionally in a basic human way first so that any personal disconnection from, you know, having a busy day at work or, you know, not spending much time together lately or whatever it is, uh, make sure that those aren't an obstacle to the, the work. Um, discuss any worries, resentments, unstated emotional factors between the partners. Get all that stuff on the table. Get it out of the way. Don't let it be an issue that interferes because the nature of sexual magic is that intruding thoughts and emotional patterns and distractions, um, once again, as with any magic, can pop in to the consciousness in the, in the ritual and divert the force that's needed from its appropriate aim. You want to purify and banish, both personally and in terms of the, the temple space. I might want to do a ritual bath, personal banishings, uh, mindful robing, and, uh, and, of course, the standard uh, temple banishings, uh, such as uh, lesser banishing ritual of pentagram, hexagram, uh, star ruby, and so on. The next step, again, as with many magical rituals, is the consecration of the temple and sort of the, the turning on of the power to the, the temple in general, uh, general invocations. The anthem from the Mass, the first Enochian call, um, Star Sapphire is an excellent one, um, Pranayama work, the Middle Pillar ritual, things like this that are bringing in non-specific power into the space. Uh, then you want to move on to specific invocations connected to the object of the working. These could be uh, ritualized or poetic, uh, I suppose even dramatic. Um, and, of course, you make a proclamation of the purpose of the working. Having set all this in motion and having all things arranged in terms of your, your sigils or talismans and the arrangement of the temple space, um, you've got some force already flowing here. And at this point, basically put it out of your mind the idea that you're doing a ritual and simply use all available erotic artistry whether solo or with a partner, to inflame yourself in the act of love itself. 
Um, you can focus on sigils, uh, your mantra, other chosen symbols in the room. Uh, and often that kind of a focus that is less verbal and less complex um, is much more effective in both keeping your focus on the aim of the ritual without too much intrusion of detail, but also keeping the uh, arousal going. If you're trying to think of 37 variables that you want to keep in mind uh, at the same time as you're trying to uh, be aroused and, and arouse your partner and, and have sex, you know, that's not going to be as, as easy to do. Um, so, you know, you might have sigils or um, other visual cues placed around the room that will allow you to keep that focus in a more or less um, barely conscious sort of way without too much detail and complexity. And um, after some time, you probably want to have arousal for at least an hour or so before climax. Um, but when it's time for climax, you unleash the entire power of the ecstatic climax as if it were an offering to the object of the ritual. Um, sometimes if you've personified the object of the ritual in terms of a deity, this might be uh, an offering as if you were uh, making love with the deity themselves or, or you know, that you had um, held them as your beloved throughout the ritual and, and that the climax is then offered to them. There's all kinds of variables here that you can get creative with. Uh, I'm just trying to throw out a few examples. And um, having accomplished the climax, you then uh, do the usual closing of ritual space, um, license to depart for any entities that may have been attracted by the working, and sealing up of any talismans or sigils that you may be using, uh, any Eucharist that you may be conducting in order to lock in the virtues of the rite, and that's it. You're done. So... As you can see, there's there's really nothing uh, terribly different about the structure of a sexual magic ritual in, in this example um, from another type of ritual. But the fuel of the fire, in a sense, um, the, the fuel for the inflaming and the invocations and the drawing in of the specific force desired and the uniting with the specific force desired are all accomplished by specifically sexual means and it's another tool in the arsenal. So um, as with many subjects, I know that it's only possible to scratch the surface in, in one or two podcast segments on something like this, but uh, I hope it's been useful. I hope you've got some ideas to experiment with and as always, especially, I just want you to be inspired to experiment and to be uh, inspired to explore, read things that you might not have read before, or try practices you might not have tried before, and not to be afraid of uh, some trial and error and experimentation, because that's how we learn. As always, please send me your comments, questions, and suggestions for future topics or any uh, comments on the past topics. You can reach me at uh, livingthelema at macmac.com. And also through livingthelema.com, uh, my website, where I have uh, resources for the podcast and uh, biography. We have a Facebook page for Living Thelema. 
Um, and finally, I just want to say thank you to the podcast producers and to all my listeners who have been so enthusiastic and supportive. We have now done 12 Living Thelema segments uh, for a full year, and uh, I'm just uh, honored and delighted to be able to continue sharing this material with you and to hear from you uh, with your comments and questions. So thank you very much for making this a successful year, and I look forward to seeing you next time.